What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realize that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. It's Picture Lock on WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to radio episode 129 of the world famous award winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews and all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. The 2019 DC Black Film Festival takes place this week, August 15th through 17th at the Miracle Theater and the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. In fact, it's going on right now. So today you'll hear from folks whose film is playing tonight and tomorrow. I have director Emily Harold of the film While I Breathe, I Hope, director Jennifer Sharp of Una Great Movie, and director Tony Scott and producer Gene Sue of The Short Together. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Royce Atkins, writer and director of The Girls No Brain, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And what does it mean to be young, black, and a Democrat in the Southern Republican state of South Carolina? Well, through experiences of politician Bakari Sellers, While I Breathe, I Hope unravels that question. The film follows Sellers in his 2014 bid for lieutenant governor through the Charleston shootings and removal of the Confederate flag in 2015 and to the present as he takes on a national role as a CNN political commentator and considers his future in Trump's America. I have the film's director, producer, Emily Harold on the line. Emily, welcome to Picture Lock. Great to be here. Really excited. I am as well. Emily, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, I don't know if there's an exact moment, but as I was growing up, I always, you know, loved watching movies and watching TV and, um, you know, especially in school, reading about history and reading about things that had happened and then getting to 
see it, you know, in a movie or in a TV show or in a documentary um, and see, you know, those pictures and those real life stories um, was just something that I, I was always really taken with. Um, and so as I, you know, grew up and got to be a teenager and then started thinking about what I wanted to do, um, I just realized I wanted to be a filmmaker. Totally makes sense, uh, especially with this being a, a documentary. And it's a little bit personal. Um, Emily and I were talking a little before we started rolling. Uh, Emily's from Orangeburg, South Carolina. I was born in Orangeburg, South Carolina, then moved to Columbia. So uh, we got a little hometown thing going on right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Emily. The 803? Exactly. That's, a, that's right. That's a, the cell phone, 803, 803, um, all day. Emily, if you could, let's let's kind of get your backstory. You know, how did you go from a little girl that really appreciated um, these cinema verite, you know, documentaries and things like that, to now the director producer of While I Breathe? I hope. How did you get into the industry? Sure. Um, so, like I said, I was kind of realizing that this is what I wanted to do, just because I loved um, watching things come alive on a screen and you know, falling in love with these different stories and different people and characters and places um, that I never thought I'd ever go, but I could see on a, a TV screen. Um, and so when I was in, you know, middle school and into high school, um, I was growing up at a time when project-based learning was really big in public schools. Um, and so I would always make my project into a movie of some sort. Um, and by the time I got into high school, uh, you know, my parents were starting to realize that that's what I was wanting to do. And so I got to go to a film camp um, over the summer and shoot on 16 millimeter film and learn about how to actually like, you know, professionally make a film. And uh, I just absolutely fell in love with it. And so um, when it came time to go to college, I applied to New York University's Tisch School of the Arts in New York City um, and got in, which I was really, really excited about. And so... Whoop, whoop. Um, yep, uh, and packed up my, my bags from, you know, little Orangeburg, South Carolina to move to the big city, uh, which was quite an adventure, um, and started, you know, working on other people's films in school and interning and began to realize, you know, once I was out of South Carolina, um, realizing all the history, uh, that I was actually growing up with in especially in a town like Orangeburg, um, and that many people outside of South Carolina didn't really know about that kind of history um, and didn't know about um, all of the activism that had happened in, in the South and in South Carolina. And so I realized that I was in a unique position um, to try and shine a light on some of those stories. And, um, you know, as I graduated and started working in the industry, you know, you start kind of at the bottom and you work your way up. Um, I wanted to start making my own films immediately. And so um, with this film in particular, I'm just going to jump right into that if that's okay. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Um, I had kind of known about Bakari. Um, I really knew who his father was because I'd read his autobiography. Um, and, of course, growing up in Orangeburg, knew about the Orangeburg Massacre um, and knew about his father's status as um a civil rights icon um, in the 1960s, but I didn't really know who Bakari was. Um, I knew that he was a state rep, 
But when he decided to run statewide in South Carolina as a young African-American progressive, um, I was just really taken with somebody that would be that daring. Um, as you know, being from South Carolina, it's a very, very Republican state. Um, mm-hmm. Race is still a very, very big issue. Um, at that point in, in 2013, 2014, when Bakari was running, um, an African-American had not been elected statewide since the 1870s. Um, so it was really, you know, impressive to see somebody taking that on. Um, and so I just kind of jumped in. I just had this like calling that I needed to go make this film um, and that nobody else was going to do it if I didn't do it. And so I called up Bakari and explained what I wanted to do. And I don't think he totally got it. And I don't think I totally knew what I was asking either. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it turned into this, this, you know, journey and adventure and, I thought would just film the campaign and that was going to be the end of the story. But um, uh, events had other things in mind. And so we ended up filming for on and off for four years. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking with the director producer of while I breathe, I hope Emily Harold, Emily, um, you know, that's one of the interesting things I always think about documentary is that you start out and you have this thesis. This is what I'm going to uh, be creating this film about. And then the film tells you what it's actually going to be about. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about how you decided to pivot and kind of um, put this film together? So, um, you know, as I said in the opening, you know, we're we're seeing him go through not just the race, but then also the Charleston shootings, which we know made national news, um, as well as the Confederate flag coming down. Because, again, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and anytime we visited the Capitol, we had to look at the Confederate flag and then the South Carolina state flag. Um, and so that was that was huge. And I mean, I, I, t- I remember as a kid, my parents taking me to marches um, about the Confederate flag. So, you know, how did you guys pivot yep. and decide to put all this together? Sure. Um, well, I definitely had no clue when we started that that's what this was. I mean, none of us did. None of us knew what was coming. Um, you know, we had stopped filming and I was kind of thinking about, OK, what are my next moves in terms of fundraising? Um, to get this finished so that we could start editing it. And during the filming, you know, one of the things that Bakari campaigned on was getting the Confederate flag down. And so we did go around asking people, what do you think of this issue? Um, It was still, you know, a kind of contentious issue at the time, even though um, no one was really expecting anything to happen. But Bakari did make that stand. um, And that scene is in the the final of the film um, where he said, you know, if I win, I want this flag down. Um, and so, you know, I had covered that because, you know, it's still, like I said, such a big issue, but I didn't know that it was actually the lead up to something else that we were, you know, like following that entire arc of that flag. But after, um, after the Charleston massacre in June of 2015, uh, you know, seeing how Bakari reacted, um, and seeing how, you know, the state of South Carolina reacted, uh, it just felt like I had to start filming again. Like it wasn't a, you know, should this be in the film? It was like, oh my gosh, this, you know, this story has not, the story is continuing and Bakari's story is continuing. And um, it just, you know, it was again, kind of that gut thing where I was like, I have, this has to be a part of the film. Um, And so we, uh, we weren't actually filming in that for that month time period. So, 
all of the footage in the film is actually acquired from other filmmakers or um, networks. Um, but we did start filming again shortly thereafter um, and just followed Bakari um, as his profile was, you know, rising with CNN, um, seeing him speak at the DNC um, convention, uh, which was incredible. Uh, and then kind of, you know, trying to make the, the question of the film more open-ended. Um, it wasn't just about this campaign and this one individual anymore. It was about what does his journey say about the direction of the state as a whole? Yeah. Folks, you can check out While I Breathe, I Hope, August 15th at 7.30 p.m. It will be playing at the Mayflower Hotel as a part of the D.C. Black Film Festival. Um, this is definitely a, a great film, great documentary. Uh, of, of course, I'm a little biased <laughs> uh, as it depicts uh, the hometown and, and Bakari. Um, Emily, if you could, uh, how can folks follow the film online, social media, etc.? Sure. Um, so we are on Twitter at Bakari Doc and on Instagram, Bakari Sellers Doc and on Facebook, While I Breathe, I Hope. Director, producer of While I Breathe, I Hope, Emily Harold, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you. It's really exciting to get to talk about the film. I'm excited for a DC audience to get to see it. Hey everybody, this is Justin Further, writer and director of Dog Person, and you're listening to Picture Lock. Picture Lock is the show. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Una Great Movie <laughs> is a beautiful, diverse film about a black American woman traveling to Mexico slowly turns into a romantic comedy with an all-white cast. The absurd reality of chasing a dream. And if you didn't quite catch that, hold on tight, because I have the writer, director, producer, editor, everything on the film. <laughs> Jennifer Sharp on the line. Jennifer, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right, so Jennifer, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? So I'm one of those people who've always known what they wanted to do their entire life. So when I was six years old, I declared that I was going to go to a performing arts school in New York, get a scholarship to L.A., and win an Academy Award. And that was my plan since I was six. So, and then I've, I've been on that path my entire life and I've never really strayed from it. I, I mean, I started more acting and definitely like when I found filmmaking and directing, which was so that I could create my own projects because I didn't, there weren't many parts offered to me as a black woman that, that were interesting. So I started to write my own. And as soon as I started directing, I realized that's where I belong. And I've been writing directing ever since. I love it. I, much like you, I've always loved film and uh, you weren't changing my major in college or grad school or anything like that. So I can definitely relate to that. Um, one question I, I just want to know, because as it leads into Una Great Movie, like what's what was that first film that you fell in love with? Um, you know, probably School Days uh, by Spike Lee. And it was just seeing that was something different, like there was a musical and it was like black people on campus, like cool, but musical numbers. And, and it ends in a question. It ends in a, or in a statement, like wake up. And I just, I thought that was amazing. Like school days. Yeah. I, and, and the fact that it could be different, you know, that you could be something different. 
Right, exactly. And I knew I, I knew that whatever you said, it was gonna be something along those lines because your film makes a statement as well and it's something different. And so that correlation, it always amazes me um, how, you know, influences kind of shape the the films um, that filmmakers make and the filmmakers that come on the show. If you could really quickly, um, you know, could you just give us a history lesson of how you went from being that six-year-old that was like, I'm going to get this Oscar to now, you know, the filmmaker for Una Great Movie. How did you break into the industry? Yeah, so yeah, I went to college for acting, but basically I, I started with my first short film like in the year 2000, and uh, I just really just by creating my own work. Um, so from six years, you know, I was at like 20, I started writing my own short films and um, loved it and entering festivals and then wanted to do a feature. And then I got hot. So then I moved, I was in New York. I was in New York and I made my first short film. And then I decided to go to Los Angeles to make my next short film so that I could have made a movie in New York and LA just to learn. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. then I got hired, I got hired in Los Angeles to direct my first feature film. I'm through with white girls which I directed in 2007 and it did great. It won best film at like ABFF. It won like 12 best film awards that year. It did amazing. And um, it was very, it was exciting. And then for the next 12 years, yeah, for the next 10 years, I thought I would get work and thought that the industry would accept me and, you know, like I've done good work and here I am. And so I sent out resumes and I sent, and I sent out more scripts and worked really hard and um, nothing happened. And in 2016, because the industry is very hard and fickle and like not diverse and not open-minded and I have a lot of issues with how the industry works. And I realized in 2016 that if I wanted to make another feature, I was going to have to do it myself that nobody was going to do it for me, that no one was going to appreciate my scripts and like hire me or put money behind it. So I ended up, um, I ended up taking my whole life savings, everything, everything, $15,000 I had in the bank. I called all my credit cards. I raised all the limits. And in 2016, I declared I'm going to make my next feature film period. I don't until, and I'm not going to stop until I'm living on the streets. And that was in a great movie. And now it's three years later, and I've spent the last three years of my life, the last three years, like, nonstop, full-time, seven days a week, 18 hours a day, doing everything to get to make this movie. And now it is finished, and now I'm doing the festival circuit. Wow. <laughs> ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm not crying. You are. I mean, I am so – wow. Like, I'm, I'm literally tearing up because <laughs> yeah. um, not, not – not that what you just said was sad, but like I love the the hustle and the fact that uh, you know you just said, "Hey, I'm gonna make this thing happen." And you know, it's really interesting as we get into Una Great Movie. Um, I can see your life kind of history being put into the film, and I think that's what makes it such a unique and different film because you really have something to say. Like you said, I remember um, I'm Done With White Girls when that came out. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was like about to go to grad school. And so I do remember that. Uh, and and wow, that is totally amazing. So ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm being inspired by the writer, director, producer <laughs> of Una Great Movie, Jennifer Sharp. Uh, Jennifer, if you could, in your own words, what is mm-hmm. uh, this film all about? 
This film is about, it's a beautiful story about a, well, you, you already kind of tagged the tag, the tagline of like, it's a beautiful story about a black woman traveling through Mexico that slowly becomes an all white romantic comedy. And, uh, I say that because it's kind of confusing and if people are like, what? Then that's kind of the point because it's a very confusing movie. And it's the theme, it touches so many themes. Like it's packed because I put my life into this movie and I was like, I'm good. I know it. So I'm the one who has to believe in myself. But this could be the last movie I ever make because I'm putting everything into it. Like all my money, I'm going to have to live with my mom in her basement in Ohio when this mm-hmm. is over mm-hmm. if nothing does well. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to I'm gonna address everything that's important to me in this movie. This is going to be my swan song if this, if this is it. So I deal with a lot of issues and my, my biggest... I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of right now is, like, I I shot this movie in Mexico, and I used 50 local Mexicans as actors. And it's a movie where you see Mexicans in their town, all different shades, all different sizes, being friendly to Americans, being real people. And that's a time right now when there's so much ignorance towards Mexicans and so much hatred about, like, they're narcos and they're dangerous. And um, so I'm really happy that I'm, I'm crossing, like, human borders in this. And I also have a black woman traveling in Mexico which you've never seen in a movie. So this movie is really about breaking stereotypes and showing us all as humans in ways that movies never show us as humans. And then the last thing is I also have um, different diverse body types. My lead actress is not a skinny woman, and there's a love interest later in the movie with one of the side characters who's this kind of like 300-pound Mexican guy. And I'm not afraid to show people as normal, and not not everybody has to be this portrayal of beauty that we've constructed and I'm trying to show that there are different ways of being beautiful so yeah so just right there beauty Mexicans black women traveling and there's more so it's about a lot of things (laughs) yeah (laughs) ladies and gentlemen if you are interested in seeing this film you can at 2.15 p.m. at the Mayflower Hotel in Northwest Washington D.C. during the D.C. Black Film Festival August 17th We'll have a, a great panel after to kind of discuss some of these issues. Um, but, you know, Jennifer, I mean, you've kind of hit like, you know, what inspired you to make it and all that good stuff. I think kind of wrapping out here, one of the questions like the comedy within it um, is is really sharp and poignant. So uh, could you just talk a little bit quickly of about like just writing, um, you know, for comedy? And, you know, sometimes I know that it can be hard because you want to make sure it lands and the jokes land. But, um, you know. Yeah, what what why did you decide to kind of make it more yeah. comical than dramatic? So what's interesting about me as a filmmaker is when I started making films, I started writing dramas. I mean I love I'm an issue oriented person. I like to discuss serious issues, I like to solve problems, I like to I challenge I think we're, I think as artists we are responsible for furthering society. Like I really do. I don't think I'm not one of the artists who are like, Oh, I just make my art and entertain and you know, I, that's not me. So every script I've ever written actually has started out as a drama. And it was it was in after my third film that I realized that I'm that I'm a comedy writer and I didn't know like my first short film was a drama but it was funny and everybody laughed the whole time. And um then <laughs> in my next film I thought was a drama. I thought it was until I made until I I, mean, I shot it almost as a drama and then it's it's funny because and then I realized like that's my humor and that's my style is that I have a very biting ironic take on life and by being super honest and truthful and showing the irony in it it's actually pretty funny Mm -hmm. and um 
So, you know, it's kind of like a Monty Python thing where, you know, Monty Python is so funny, but the stuff they're saying is actually huge commentaries on society. And um, that's what I realized I've done. And so with Integrate Movie, it's like, okay, at this point, I know my style is funny, but my but I'm funny by being super serious and showing the irony and the absurdity and the ridiculousness of how we live. And then it's like, wow, that's funny, but that's also scary and sad. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you. Um, so I really, I want to ask really quick for the audience that's listening, how can they uh, follow you guys online, social media, etc. But uh, if you can answer quickly, um, you know, when that first film went out, and you were like, hey, the guys, this isn't supposed to be funny. Were you like, caught off guard? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. And I, I was, well, I knew, well, once I started editing and I'm like, I knew the funny things, but I didn't think the audience would be like laughing out loud. I just thought they'd be like, huh, that's funny. Like in their mind as they watch something serious. And, and my second film, my cinematographer came over to the first edit and my second short film. And he showed, he watched my first edit because I edit all my own movies as well. And he was like, you know, I'm just confused because I thought we were making a comedy and this is, and you've edited it like a drama. Mm, and yeah. that's and I was like and, and I was like no but it's serious and he was like no but it's funny <laughs> and so then I did a recut to kind of make it funny and then that's when it worked and yeah so it's like I'm definitely like I have a knack for comedy I never thought that I would it's definitely I don't even try um I don't even try yeah <laughs> all right Jennifer <laughs> if you that's my style yeah, yeah, no, and I think it's a great style, and folks are definitely going to love this film. If you could, how can we uh, find out more about the film online and follow you on social media? So social media, first of all, I have a website, unagreatmovie.com. It's the name of the movie.com, and on that website, you can subscribe to my mailing list. Then I have a Facebook, unagreatmovie, and then Instagram is Jennifer Sharp Films. Instagram is at Jennifer Sharp Films, and Twitter is at Jen Sharp Films. And yeah, so all that's out there. Please follow because I'm going to also be having a great uh, distribution strategy, possibly distributing it myself. So I'll need an army behind me to support this. I hear you, sister. All right. It's been the writer, director, producer of Una Great Movie, Jennifer Sharp. Jennifer, thanks for coming on Picture Lock. Definitely enjoyed hearing the backstory for this great film. Thank you very much. It's fun to talk about it. Many independent filmmakers find themselves in the difficult position of not only bringing their film into fruition, but getting it in front of the public to be seen on their own as well. So how do you build a community and develop a marketing strategy for your film when you are the PR and marketing team? Based on years of experience, filmmaker, film critic, film publicist, and festival director Kevin Sampson offers practical advice in Army of One. PR and marketing for the indie filmmaker. Taking readers through best practices and setting up your film to engage the public and market it from pre-production to post-production. Find out how to start building your community and create sustained engagement in pre-production. Develop and administer a social media marketing strategy that you can keep up with by yourself. Create and assemble behind-the-scenes media through the stages of production to use with your film's marketing. Attract film critics to review your work through your website, email, and in-person interactions. Navigate the film festival circuit in a way that doesn't break the bank. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the do-it-yourself nature of independent filmmaking, this book is for you. Available now on Amazon.
What's up, y'all? This is Peyton. And Lanye Perrine, the creators of the web series Funny Married Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you are listening to Picture Lock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This is Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Together is a romantic drama addressing issues related to aging. I have the film's writer-director, Tony Scott, and producer, Gene Sue, on the line. Tony, Gene, welcome to Picture Lock. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate being here. Nice to be here, Kevin. My pleasure. So, guys, the first question that I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Gene, let's start with you first. You know, I, I hate to say that. I, I, I'm not sure I'm still in love. The, the way we got into it was um, I wanted to say this is Tony's midlife crisis. And we happened to see, <laughs> we happened to see living in the beautiful, uh, picturesque Napa, Napa Valley. And the first Napa Film Festival happened. There was a pitch contest. A group of Hollywood executives um, asked people to do a pitch contest. And Tony didn't even know it was a pitch contest. They said, come, come, just tell your story. And he went there and told two stories, and he got number one and number two. And that's what got him interested to, to think about um, how and where to get started to write a screenplay. Found out UCLA was the best of the best when it comes to teaching screenplay. And he went off and started uh, learning online. And then one day he told me, Gene, I'm moving to L.A. I said, oh, really? <laughs> that, that was 2000, <laughs> 2013. And that year he wrote five feature and uh, six TV pilots, um, lost a bunch of hair. <laughs> and, uh, and every single one got some kind of award and recognition in competition. So 2014, I said, okay, that's it. I've played enough golf and I got so bored. Um, we sold everything in Napa and Silicon Valley. That's where we started. Our original business was in the technology industry. And, uh, and then uh, moved down to uh, Los Angeles, 2014. So that's where started our adventure in the entertainment world, if you will. But at the same time, if you think about it, Kevin, when you asked about when did we start falling in love with film, I mean, when I was a little kid, I was really sick a lot. So I ended up having to stay at home a lot. And my one of my entertainment was watching movies that were shown then just on TV in, in 1975 or 74. I think we finally got home box office in Jackson, Mississippi, where I grew up. And so all of a sudden, my world was just exploded in terms of my mind watching all these movies. At that time, HBO was still basically, it was, a, it was a little cable channel for Manhattan. And so they had Fellini films and Bergman films and all these <laughs> movies. It really was unbelievable. Right. And like this kid you know, in Jackson is like, whoa, <laughs> what, a, what a world, right? So I've always loved film and always loved the idea that movies can tell a story that can move us, that can make us laugh, make us cry. Uh, you know, entertain us, educate us, tell us about worlds we don't know about, and allows us to see something we don't know in a different way. And so that was always fascinating to me, but, you know, I didn't want to be a starving artist, and uh, so I ended up going into the business world. Uh, and when we got to a point in our lives where we could 
not have to work in regular business anymore, uh, you know, then again, as Gene said, we got pretty much bored living in heaven. And uh, <laughs> so decided to come to the hell of L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, uh, this is a really cool uh, backstory. I think Gene has obviously kind of knocked out how you guys got into the industry and switching over. Um, so we'll jump straight into Together um, because I, I definitely want to geek out on this film. If you guys could, like, sure. in your own words, what is the film about to you? Not, not, not the log line, but what is it about to you? Okay. Well... Kevin, this is actually the story of my parents, and this is a true story. Really? And in fact, every, everything that's in that film is almost exactly the way it went down. Wow. So this, this, is this is something that happened to my mom in, in the year 2000. Uh, Gene and I were working in Silicon Valley. I get a phone call from my sister, Tony. Mom's on the way to the hospital. I had to rush to the airport, got the last flight I could get to get to Jackson, which is, it, by the way, it's not easy to get to Jackson, Mississippi from anywhere, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> for good reason. And <laughs> anyhow, the, <laughs> got there, you know, my mom had had, they thought she'd had a stroke. And then they were able to do an echocardiogram the next morning, and they came in and said, okay, this is what's happened. And... Literally, she has a hole in her aorta. It's going to get worse every hour, and you have it's it's going to be bad. And you know, 24 hours, it's it's over. So you got a decision. Literally, you have to make a decision in 10 minutes. What do you do? And so I think that the key on this, in terms of not only did I want to show this story, this is like a really dramatic, incredible story. I would tell people this story, and they're like, oh, "Man, I you know, they couldn't even believe it." But it's also the story about, you know, for people need to think about what happens if, you're, if you or a loved one, someone you care about, is put into a similar situation. You need to think about these decisions, hopefully ahead of time, and what's important and why. Because, you know, in the movie, as it shows, I mean, people were divided uh, about what to do. And, uh, you know, I think that people need to be thinking about these things ahead of time. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about, though, was the, to show the testament to what is love. You know, I think that love is a really important thing in our lives. I think people forget about that, and we take it for granted a lot. And, uh, you know, there are different ways and different forms of showing love. So it's not just all the romantic, you know, wind-swept, you know, hillside, beautiful sunsets, you know, walking down Paris, cobblestone streets, streets, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a lot of things to love, especially in a long relationship like this one is about. So, you know, this is a pr proof of concept for a feature movie, actually. I wrote the feature at UCLA, and uh, this is effectively more or less the first half of the first act of that feature. So the drama ramps up after that. Wow! <laughs> yeah, but it's a but it's a story that this one stands on its own. I think, and uh, it, it definitely a lot of people have been through similar situations, and uh, in their own family, with their own parents, with their spouses, whatever. And, and I can't tell you, we just had the LA premiere at the LA International Sports Shorts Fest, and people, so many people came up afterwards saying how it was something that was a, an incident in their own lives that 
was absolutely relatable to their to their lives. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, proving that when you write deeply personal films, uh, it has a universal resonance to it. it I have the writer, director, and producer of Together on the line with me right now. It's Tony Scott and Gene Sue. Um, yeah, Tony, this is one of the things that I, I, I've been talking about is like when you when you write from a place that's personal, it becomes suddenly something that everyone can relate to. And I think that um, within this film, um, you know, I'm just amazed at how um, you can you can see your own family in it. And, and you know, one of the things like now it kind of makes me interested because. Um, what, what made you decide in regard to making this a black family, right? Was it, um, yep. just casting and you, whoever's the best, uh, you know, that read or, you know, how did that happen? Well, you know, in the feature, so as, as you know, Kevin, I'm, I'm a Caucasian Native American and, uh, and Gene is Chinese. So, you know, we didn't think of this as being a black story. This is not about the black experience per se. It's a universal experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it can happen to anybody, anytime, anywhere. And, you know, when I first started writing this, uh, this script, it was a white uh, family. But then along the way, I, I thought about what the, the drama that can happen without going into a whole lot of detail. One of the aspects of the, of the feature is that after a period of time, the the new normal of Carver and Ella, uh, of, Car of Ella being impaired in a nursing home, a new person moves in across the hall from them who's got Alzheimer's. His spouse is actually uh, healthy. So the two healthy spouses, Carver and this other woman, form a bond over caring for their impaired spouses. And they become close, they become friends, and they come so close that they start to get, start worrying the families and friends and society around them because they're still married, right? And even though the people they're married to aren't really exactly the same people they married, but they are still technically married. And um, it's exacerbated because the feature is set in the Deep South, and, of course, Carver is black, and the other person is white. So there's also a societal aspect to the whole black male, white female relationship, particularly with people of this age, uh, that is still there. It's not certainly not what drives the movie, but it's just like the cherry that's on top of the cake in right. terms of the ad drama. So, you know, and I, and I also wanted to show that, you know, this family is just like the family of my friends and not, you know, I have friends from really from super poor to super rich growing up and all through my life. And this is like this, this family is, I modeled it very much not only on my own family, but model of my friends who happen to be African-American whose par parents were doctors or lawyers or, you know, ministers or, you know, the, the teachers. And, the, you know, the, this, it, there's no difference. This is a universal story from that perspective. And I wanted to show a story that shows universality regardless of ethnicity. So it's about normalization, not representation. Right, exactly. And I, I think you definitely nailed that. And that's why, that's why I kind of wanted to bring that up, because I think that when we write in such a way that we just write about the human experience, it really doesn't matter, you know, uh, 
color. I know, I, I think in the world and definitely in America, you know, color is such a big issue, but um, really, like, we all breathe the same air, you know? And, um, absolutely. Uh, okay, so so I know we got to kind of wrap up this picture lock uh, interview, which I, I could go on and on about this. Um, but I have two quick questions, and then we're going to wrap this out. If you could just talk about your lead actress uh, who plays Ella, because I feel as though yeah. she gave an Oscar performance. Like, I had to rewind, or do we rewind anymore? I had to <laughs> take the film back to the beginning <laughs> to look at her and be like, wait a second, did she show any signs of this? I mean, like, when, and I don't want to give it away. Folks, if you want, you can come and see together at the DC Black Film Festival, August 17th, 5.40 p.m. It's in our Black Love uh, film block. But the perf the performance she gives is absolutely mind-blowing. And I hope that more and more people see this film. And I, Lord willing, I hope she's in the future because I, I literally was like, the physical transformation that she did, I felt as though she must have had a stroke or something while you were filming because it is just... Phenomenal. So that question is going to be for you, Tony, and then for you, Gene, uh, just to kind of bring you back in here. You know, um, are you excited about, you know, shooting the feature, uh, hopefully in the near future? Oh, definitely. That's one of the big jobs that I'm, I'm working on, trying to talk to um, potential investors, people who wanted to see the whole full length of the story. Um, um, that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah, we're getting we're getting a lot of traction with that, and and so and by the way, before I talk about Ife, who I agree did a fantastic performance, and in fact, I think all of our cast did just yeah. amazing performances. Actually, I mean, we were very very fortunate in that sense. Um, the, you know, you talked about the universality of this story. And one of the things Gene and I are talking about doing is doing another version of this in China, you know, for a Chinese audience. So it's a just to talk about how universal this is because it truly is a universal story, mm -hmm. um, and. And so that's a, you know, it, it's a, it's something that we also think that because we know the China market really well, we know audiences, people like to be moved and people like to have things that are about something. So as Gene likes to say, stories about real heroes, not superheroes. Right. <laughs> so the, and that's what, and that's what we're all about. We're about those kinds of grounded stories that are based in truth and based in reality. Um, so back to our cast. So we were really fortunate um, in finding our cast. I mean, some of these people are people I worked with. But when I came out to go to UCLA, the film school, one of the first things they said is, you want to learn how to write? Go take an acting class. Learn how to write for actors. Learn how to, how to uh, you know, and if you ever want to direct, take an acting class. You're talking the same language that actors are talking, right? And, and to learn how to give them the space to do their thing. So Jason Olive uh, and Kent Falcon, the, so Jason plays me, not quite as good looking as I am, but even though he was the world's <laughs> first super male supermodel. Mm -hmm. uh, so, he, so he and Kent were on this uh, TV show, a Tyler Perry show, for better or worse, for 162 episodes, and you know they've done all sorts of stuff. And, and then Kim Estes, we met him through, he was a referral to, uh, from another woman in my acting class, and he's won an Emmy, and you know he's doing all sorts of stuff. He's got a feature film coming out right now, and, and he just nailed it. And Ife, uh, Ife is from Chicago, and in fact, when I used to live in Chicago, I actually, we figured out that I actually saw her dance. She was a professional dancer in a spinoff of the Alvin Ailey dance 
uh, troupe that was pretty famous in Chicago at the time. And so, and then she ran all of the arts uh, activities for the city of Chicago school district, uh, the South Shore Cultural Center down on South Shore in Chicago. And so our lives like crossed over a bunch of times that we never even never knew each other. But when we met her, and she has just this unbelievable vibrant personality that just it just blows up, right? I mean, she lights up a room wherever she is. And, you know, we saw that her physicality, her ability to control her body, which I think comes from her dancing training, was incredible. So I think the transformation that you see of her in the film, and that's no special effects makeup. Uh, I mean, just like we had one little bitty bit of a tiny bit of makeup on her. And uh, no visual, you know, no special effects. Uh, in terms of the uh, actually on the film, uh, I think I slowed down five frames. You know, at one point. Otherwise, it's that's her. Everything she did was her. And basically, I told her and talked to her about how my mom would sit in the chair and how she would move her hand that was the half of the side that was paralyzed and how she would speak and how she would try to do that. And so, and she got it almost instantly, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was that was the thing. She was able to do that and portray that physicality as an actor in a way that was really real. And I, I, I had to just give her a few redirects here or there, but very minor. And 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 that's the other thing we did too with the cast, all the cast, uh, with with Jason, with Caroline Harris who plays. The, who's played Sarah, the sister, um, and uh, the, you know, with Kim Estes, we, we did a, a table read, and I told everybody about the story, the background of the story, the details of it, and we did a table read first straight off the page, and then I said, okay, great. Now, let's do it again, and I want to hear it. you guys just use your own words. Feel free to use, if you want to substitute words, go ahead and do it. And I was taping it. And so I went back and changed the script in a few places. <laughs> nice. To, 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 make, to make the words flow so that the actors could inhabit the characters and so that the characters became real. And I think that that was really important to do, and it's something I'd recommend all screenwriters to, and directors to do, is to not to fall in love with your own words. If you've got great professional actors, people who know what they're doing, you know, go and do that. But I would also to mention to you that both Ife and Kim Estes, neither one of them had acted before 10 years ago. Wow. So they both had lives prior to this. You know, Ife did not get into acting until she moved out here to L.A. to help her daughter take care of her son. And uh, Kim Estes, I mean, Kim used to be the chief engineer on big, you know, giant ocean-going uh, oil tankers and <laughs> all sorts wow. of military ships and stuff. And so, and then he finally started taking it back to me after he went to get his MBA at USC when he got assigned to shore. And then he was like doing this as, an, as another thing. So all of these folks have, have backgrounds that are outside of acting. And I think that helps them bring reality to what they do. All right, guys. Well, if you want to see together again, you can see it uh, at the DC Black Film Festival during our Black Love Film Block on Saturday, August 17th. Uh, Guys, if you could uh, really quickly, how can people follow the film and keep up with you guys on social media? 
Yeah, so we're mostly on Facebook uh, on this. So there's a Together page on social media. Together uh, short movie uh, is it. And they can also find us on Facebook, Tony Scott. Uh, and even easier is probably Jean Sue. Uh, if she's not Jean Sue from, from the South, Jean you're like, yeah, my name is Jean Sue. My name is Bobby Sue. <laughs> her last name is her last name is spelled S-U. Uh, that's her family name, Chinese family name. So Jean. We also use LinkedIn a lot. Yeah. So because that's a professional network, and we want to um, let people know uh, about this uh, event, of what's happening with together. Yeah, it's, so. it's where most of our investors are connected. Awesome. Writer, director, Tony Scott and producer, Gene Sue of the film Together. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Emily Harold, Jennifer Sharp, Tony Scott, and Gene Sue for coming on the show. Subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. Tune in Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show. Catch Unlocked episodes and the Picture Lock PR after show. You don't want to miss the after show conversation I had with Tony and Gene. I'll be dropping that next week. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say Alexa, play Picture Lock podcast, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free, and I certainly appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash Picture Lock Show and subscribe. I've got new movie reviews for this weekend up now, so please go ahead and check that out. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S., the producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media. At Mike S, the producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. <laughs>